Good day and welcome back. Or for any first time listeners, which I'm guessing most of you are, welcome to Making It Work, a show about doing what you can with what you have where you're at. In this show we use personal stories of how people achieve their goals, no matter how big or small, by making it work with what they had at the time and growing from there. I'm your host, Michael Pluhacek. Father, husband, service member, firefighter, small business owner, and tinkerer. In these first 10 episodes, I wanted to focus more on some tips and tricks to help anyone who may be having trouble starting on their goals. Whether it's because you were never exposed to certain principles or you're overwhelmed by your thoughts, this is the place to be. Today we're going to be talking about identity, self-limiting beliefs, and how to break those beliefs down using small wins and its compounding effects. Be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. Dr. Seuss. So I don't think Dr. Seuss needs an introduction, but I do think it's worth mentioning his 27 rejections before being published as a children's book writer. Ted Geisel, AKA Dr. Seuss, was actually a cartoonist for magazines and newspapers in his early life. When he decided that was no longer his identity, he began to write children's books. The first book he tried to bring to press was, and to think I saw it on Mulberry Street, This book was rejected 27 times. He was going to give up altogether until a chance encounter saw him prepared for an incredible opportunity. Geisel was walking home from work and ran into an old friend who had just become an editor at a publishing house. In the children's section to boot. The friend said he would take a look, and the rest is history. Now he said, if he had been walking down the other side of the street, he probably would never have become a children's author. The reason for this little tidbit is to highlight three things that we'll talk about today. Taking steps towards your goals, not being afraid of rejection, and understanding there are people out there who want to see you succeed. Who you are as a person isn't for everyone, and that is perfectly okay. Every single person on this planet has a tribe out there, an audience, a community, and a group of people who supports them and wishes them success. These people understand your identity. I think the first and perhaps the most important part of starting to make things work for you in your life is to understand your identity. Now what I mean by this is who you are based on how you see yourself and the world around you. What are the most proliferating thoughts you have about yourself day in and day out? And also, how do you see the world around you? Why do you go from a zero to a ten on certain topics or in certain situations? Why do you have these particular pet peeves? Because the chances are, you have these inclinations based on personal experiences, whether it's your upbringing, influential external factors, trauma, your socioeconomic status, your race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, or any other of the million things that defines you. Your experiences throughout your life give you a completely and wholly unique identity, and that gives you a -a one-of-a-kind perception of yourself and of the world around you. Now... If you can get a firm grasp on your identity, you can come to realize what modern science has defined as self-limiting beliefs or assumptions or perceptions that you've got about yourself and about the way the world works. These assumptions are self-limiting because in some way they're holding you back from achieving what you're already capable of doing. So even if you're really good at this one thing, or if you have this feeling deep inside that you know it's your calling, Somewhere in the back of your brain could be telling you, you can't do it, 
or you might be beating yourself up and subjecting yourself to imposter syndrome. Now, that is a particularly nasty little cognitive bias. It's this deep-rooted feeling that we aren't good enough, and maybe more particularly, at least in my own case, we aren't good enough yet. So we keep waiting for some magical day where we've mastered it and we're ready to be successful overnight. In its definition, imposter syndrome is a collection of feelings of inadequacy that persists despite evident success. Imposters suffer from chronic self-doubt and a sense of intellectual fraud that override any feelings of success or external proof of their competence. Now what this definition translates to, at least from my own identity, is I can't go do that. I'm not a pro. I don't have the experience. I don't have the tools or the knowledge to tackle that. And I don't know the right people or have the right connections. But maybe if I work at it over time or if I wait until an opportunity presents itself, then it'll happen. You feel that if you were to give whatever it is you're reaching after a go, that you'd just be an imposter. You'd be found out or embarrassed or criticized, humiliated even, and that you could never do it. But you know what the crazy thing is? There are top-of-their-game professionals in every single field getting trash-talked, armchair quarterbacked, and disrespected every day. That's an inevitability when you're out in the world trying to do something that others don't have the courage to do. And I'm here to tell you from personal experience, the world has just as many kind people as it does unkind people. But you have to be out there doing things to interact with them. We know there are people out there who want to see us fail, but there are so many people out in the world who want to see you succeed. I started woodworking and auto skills in high school. In woodworking, I thought my creations were junk and no one would appreciate them, let alone want to buy them. My teacher told me to keep building, keep doing, keep practicing, and I'll get better. And then Facebook and YouTube University began to go global. I could see others making and selling things I thought would never be good enough. I got to see this community and support system around people of every skill from beginners to 20-year veterans, highly skilled craftsmen and how they do what they do, and nothing but but love and, and, and help all around. Same goes for auto mechanics. I didn't have the money to take my vehicles to the shop, so out of necessity I would spend money on tools here and there so I could make this repair and that. In the process, I got new tools, started building my wealth of knowledge and, and trial and error and everything until I made mistakes and I got better. You know, there's a YouTube video out there for everything. You don't need to spend money needlessly. Well, I've always had a love for learning, but, you know, as a young kid, you just know everything. You're just born knowing everything. And then as you get older, you realize you know absolutely nothing. So the biggest thing, at least for me, to start progressing was to keep an open mind and truly an open mind. And the first thing you got to do for that is understand that you don't know everything and you got to put yourself in the shoes of a learner. Just because you graduated high school or you got a college degree doesn't mean you know anything. Uh, and that's actually something that I learned the hard way and later on um, after I joined the military and after I joined the fire service. Uh, because just like every other 18-year-old, I thought I knew everything. But keeping an open mind also means being open to learning from others, taking their perspectives and taking chances and believing in yourself. 
After all, the solution that we all offer to others when they're facing some upsetting new information or something they're not sure about is just be sure to keep an open mind about it. You know, don't shut your mind off. But oftentimes, we don't give ourselves that benefit of the doubt, and we don't put ourselves in the shoes of a learner or take somebody else's perspective. So I just went the other day and signed for my new job with the city of Jacksonville's fire department. I took a $15,000 pay cut to go from a private contractor to a city job. But you know why I did it? Because I have faith in myself and that the increase in job satisfaction, sense of importance and accomplishment, along with the better schedule and free time to pursue my goals and get to spend time with my family, will be exponentially more helpful over the long term than a short-term pay cut. Now, I don't want to be misleading. Over the last year, I've actually been able to make roughly the same amount inside, outside my job as inside my job um, through my different extracurricular activities, construction, real estate, etc. So really, in essence, over this last year, I've been doing what I'm talking about right now. I've given myself a bit of proof that I can be successful doing things my way and doing what I want to be successful, and that I don't need to take pause at the concerns of others about losing money or taking a pay cut or this or that. It's not an easy thing to give up pay, and especially a large amount of that out of your paycheck, and especially when you got two kids and a third on the way, and you might even want more, and you've got a family to support. But if it's your calling and it's your passion and you have a goal and you want to achieve it, sometimes you got to make the hard choice. And to quote President Teddy, nothing in this world is worth having or worth doing unless it means effort, pain, and difficulty. I've never in my life envied a human being who led an easy life. I have envied a great many people who led difficult lives and led them well. If you didn't figure out, you're going to get a lot of Teddy Roosevelt quotes from me throughout the life of this show, by the way. Very possibly the world's most interesting man. Now, this show isn't just about the big things or the life-changing decisions that you want to make. In fact, many small wins are what give us enough steam to keep moving. This is where the small wins theory I mentioned earlier on comes into play. Now, the small wins theory is something that that we all do semi-regularly without even knowing what it is or why it's effective. But the small wins theory states, to maintain your emotional health, you need daily wins. The way to do that is by setting simple daily goals. Little by little, your self-esteem will improve. And as you progress, you can make bigger changes and take bigger and more confident steps. Let's take a common example. You don't think you'll ever be able to afford to buy a house right now. You're renting, maybe you're living paycheck to paycheck, and you are completely and utterly overwhelmed by the idea of needing 3 to 5% down, or even 20% down, saved up to be able to buy a house. But we can start changing our mindset and moving towards those goals with small things that you have no idea have such a big impact on achieving that goal. Cut out that Starbucks coffee you get several times a week. That $2.5 energy drink or the shoe addiction you have. Maybe it's purses, going out to eat, Amazon Prime, or maybe it's collecting exotic Pokemon cards. I have no idea. 
but doing these small things over time is exponential in achieving your goals. A four and a half dollar cup of coffee three times a week is $702 a year. An energy drink a day is $650 a year. If you buy something on Amazon, if you spend $50 a week on Amazon, that's $2,600 a year. Add in buying expensive clothes or having that huge car payment and it all adds up. But we can all take small steps to get to where we want to be. When I met my wife, she was a full-time student working full-time. Tons of money in the bank. She had roommates that were helping her pay her mortgage. And she had a Pontiac Vibe with 260,000 miles on it. I had a car that was paid off that I bought a decade ago. It was a Ford Expedition. Put a lot of work into it. If you don't know Ford Expeditions, you kind of expect that. But the point is, both of us were pretty like-minded on not having payments on things we didn't need to have payments on and keeping our expenses low. But that, that wasn't always the case for me. It always was for her. But... Not everybody's born like that, and not everybody experiences their upbringing like that. Plenty of people are taught it's okay to put it on credit. It's okay to have a big payment. But if you have goals, you have to understand there are certain things you have to sacrifice. I'm okay driving a 2005 Ford Expedition. She was okay driving a 2000 Pontiac Vibe with 260,000 miles on it. Each of us have these domains of health in our lives. Physical health, social health, emotional health occupational and financial health, environmental health, intellectual health, and spiritual health. And ironically, I was watching a video the other day, and this woman was, it was beautiful. She was blunt and frank about it, and she said, stop trying to fill all your buckets to 100%. You can't do it, and that's okay. For anyone who's read the book The One Thing by Gary, Gary Keller, he spells it out pretty eloquently, and this is a book I recommend for every human being to read, by the way. He uses this analogy, but instead of buckets, as juggling these balls. There's a catch, though. Some of these balls are glass, and although they can be fumbled sometimes and survive, the glass ones can't be dropped, or they'll break, and they may be broken in such a way that you can't repair them. That's things like your family and your emotional health. Point being, there are things we'll always need to place priorities on in our lives that cannot suffer, which may take us away from working towards the goals we have. But I am telling you, it's acceptable to fill some buckets more than others at times. And if you are unintentionally just pouring the water out all over the ground and wasting it, you'll never get that water level high enough in any of your buckets to make yourself happy. That happens a lot with distractions. We live in a world full of distractions. We want to study or go to college or get a license or start a business, but we get sucked into binge-watching TV shows. We want to save up money to go on vacation or buy a new computer we need or even buy a house, but we're nickel and diming ourselves to death over the newest Amazon trend or designer clothes or a fancy car. Maybe we want to lose weight, but we've had a string of long, stressful days and it just seems easier and more delicious to stop at McDonald's. We really, really want to improve our relationships with those around us, but that requires communication and sometimes confrontation, and that makes most people uncomfortable, so we mask it with jokes or sarcasm and move on. 
But these are holes in your buckets. Don't let these unintentional holes in your buckets drain you and keep you from being happy. If you're 400 pounds and you want to get healthy again, don't sit there and think, oh, I can never get there. That's too much. Set yourself a goal. Set yourself a goal of losing your first five pounds and then celebrate your ass off when you do. And please include those that care about you and who you care about in your journey. They want to see you succeed. If you want to be able to run a marathon, you don't get up one day and run 26 miles. No, you test yourself. You see where you stand now, and you work forward from there. If you run a mile in 10 minutes now, you make it your goal to get down to 8 minutes, and you celebrate. And then you add a quarter mile every day. You get 1% better every day. I'm not great at math, but that 1% every day means that you are unequivocally a 365% better version of yourself at the end of the year. But here's the coolest thing in the world. That's on simple interest. That's assuming that even though you get 1% better every day, you get no compound interest, or in this case, you get no benefits today from being better than you were yesterday. But that's not the case. If you did this same thing, but by putting one more dollar away into savings every day than you did the day before, if you started putting one dollar into your savings on New Year's, this is how it would look. You'd have $990 on Valentine's Day. By the 4th of July, you'd have $17,020. You'd have $46,056 on Halloween, $63,903 on Christmas, and a whopping $66,975 at the end of the year. Of course, most of us can't be putting $500 a day into our savings account towards the end of the year, but can't we all use what we learned yesterday to make our lives better today? And won't the steps we take today make our tomorrow better? I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Making It Work. If you would like to support this podcast and the educational videos on YouTube, please feel free to visit and support us through Patreon at patreon.com forward slash one better. That's patreon.com slash the number one better. Even small donations or monthly subscriptions will allow us to spend less time building or fixing things and more time showing you guys how to. Thank you for listening. Be humble and stay hungry.